Many uh, folks will tell you, whether they talk to you personally or you look it up online, that you're supposed to arrive to the airport about one to two hours before your flight departs. Well, on this particular occasion, I arrived traveling from Mount Airy, North Carolina to San Diego about 20 to 30 minutes before my flight was supposed to depart. So I scrambled to the security gate, I put my bags on the conveyor, I picked them up on the other end. I'm that person that I sometimes see running through the airport thinking, well, it uh, sucks to be you. <laughs> but I was actually that person. And so I finally arrived to my airline, they let me on, and I am one of the last people to board this plane. And so as I'm walking down the aisle, all eyes are on me. They couldn't close that boarding door until I arrived. So as I'm looking up on the overhead compartments, I'm trying to see where I am supposed to be seated, and I notice my seat probably some five to seven feet in front of me. And there was a man sitting closest to the window. There was also a man sitting near the aisle. And these two men, to put it nicely, were full men. And so I arrive to my seat, I put my bag in the overhead compartment, and I look at these gentlemen and I say, I'm supposed to be seated there. And one of them responds by saying, well, we were hoping no one was going to sit here. And so being in the South, again, I was in North Carolina, I thought, that's not Southern culture, but, but okay. I tried to think quickly enough to say something back to them, and so I said, well, I guess we better have some good conversation then. So what do you want to talk about, sex, politics, or religion? Both of them kind of look at me and they say, well, we don't like religion, so let's talk about politics. So I said, fine. So I take my seat, the plane takes off, and we're probably an hour into the flight, and these men are going back and forth about what they think about the political atmosphere of this nation. And finally, one of them looks at me and he says, why aren't you saying anything? And I said, because I don't want to talk about politics. And so he said, what do you want to talk about? I said, religion. And so they said, fine, tell us what you want to talk about, about religion. And so I took out this very Bible, and I took those two men from Genesis to Revelation, and I talked to them about the glories of God in Jesus Christ. And at the end of our conversation, both of them said, we, we've never heard anything like that. And so I was hoping that that would be the moment where they would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved from the penalty of their sins. They did not. I don't know what's happened since then. But I know it was my call to witness to these two men, especially because we were 30,000 feet in the air and we weren't going anywhere. I mean, it was a perfect opportunity to talk about Jesus. But am I the only one? I'm the paid professional, right? Am I the only one required, commanded to talk to others about the good news of Jesus? 1 Peter chapter 2 has the answer for us. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race. The R word, race. Uh, depending on the news media outlet you listen to, Fox News, CNN, NPR, or whatever it may be, the term race is so politically and historically charged that it's almost becoming a taboo subject. We, we don't want to talk about race because of what it might do to us. 
or how it might cause our relationships to be ruined, but apparently the Apostle Peter, the author of this letter, had no problem writing it in Holy Scripture. Because the term race wasn't limited to the color of one's skin. Rather, it included where people lived. It included the form of government they embraced. It included certain customs and traits as well as one's religion. And so when you hear this statement that you are a chosen race, all that that phrase includes should be an earmark that ultimately points to Jesus. You should not primarily be known as a Republican or a Democrat. Rather, you should primarily be known as one who worships the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did not require a vote to be seated on the throne next to his heavenly Father. You should... Thank you, brother. Because, look, I'm Presbyterian, but I've had to change just a little bit of what I'm accustomed to to hearing from the congregation. So I'm going to need y'all to just come out yourselves a little bit. I'm used to folks going, hmm, and I know that's all I can get sometimes, but I need y'all to speak back to me, okay? You're a chosen race. It's about more than your political affiliation. It's about more than the color of your skin. It's about more than where you live. It's about more than whether you are rich or poor. This is an identifying mark that should help you understand what God has done to you and who he has chosen you to become. And do you know why that's significant? Because we typically operate from the place of who we think we are. Bankers deal with finance. That's their calling. Managers manage, janitors clean, but you are a chosen race. As you heard from your senior pastor, uh, my family hopes to return to Los Angeles. I am from L.A., and the way my aunt tells the story of, of how I came into this world, she said that she didn't think I was going to survive because I was born blue. You see, my mother was a drug addict, and she utilized drugs while I was in the womb, but it didn't stop at that point after I was born. Some of my earliest memories, I recall looking into the bedroom that was adjacent to my own and seeing my mother, my grandmother, my aunt, some of the neighborhood folks using drugs, crack in particular. I grew up in a neighborhood where it was common for people not only to sell drugs, but also to be murdered. And that's all I knew for the first half of my life. And when you're surrounded by those things, you then will operate from the place of what you know or think to be true about yourself. My half-brother is in prison for life for murder. It wasn't until I was taken out of L.A., that I realized there was life outside of the hood. It wasn't until I joined the Navy and was taken out of the U.S. that I realized there was life outside of this country. Yes, I I joined the Navy in 1998. I spent 10 years. Did anyone else spend any time in the service outside of the Navy, another branch? You did? I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) The Navy's the way you should have gone, brother. 
But it was in 2001 when I was stationed about five hours south of London, someone invited me to church, and life has not been the same since. God says to me, God says to you, verse 9, that you are a chosen race, and he took me from a place of being in rags to riches, as he goes on to say, you were also a royal priesthood. Money can't buy this status. There is no amount of work you can do to earn your way to this type of royalty. Rather, it is a gift that is given to you who are in Christ. When the King of kings and the Lord of lords from all eternity decided to dethrone himself and clothe himself in the likeness of sinful flesh and be placed in a manger, and instead of wearing a crown of gold, he put upon his head a crown of thorns and rightly was placed above his subjects, only this time it wasn't in some lofty seat, rather it was upon a cross, where he bore your sins in his body on that tree. See, Jesus is the one who knew no sin, and yet for us became sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. The one who had all the riches in the world, the one who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, from nothing, absolutely nothing, decided to become poor so that for your sakes, because of his poverty, you might become rich. You see, you are a royal priesthood. And one of the reasons this is so significant is because it helps us then to start to fulfill our purpose. If you notice, the title of this sermon is, I don't know if it's, it's not up there anymore, but it's called Your Purpose in Life. What is your purpose? Why are you here? About uh, four years ago, I started the process of planting a church in Richmond, Virginia. That statement in and of itself is filled with all kinds of issues because Richmond is in the South. And the only thing Southern about me is Southern California. And so God takes a man in an interracial marriage and places that family, my family, in the South. The place where in the middle of the 19th century received more enslaved Africans than any other place on the East Coast the place where there's a street that runs throughout the city that is lined with Confederate statues, the place where my friend who is training for pastoral ministry had the N-word spray painted on his garage, the place where 40 minutes from my house is Jamestown, which in 1619 received the first slave ship. Go there? and plant a church in a community, by the way, that is 50-50 minority-majority and make that church look like the community, you all know the PCA, at least if you have any knowledge of our denomination, is largely white. You don't have to be ashamed to say it. Those are the statistics. I'm one of about 56 or 57 African-American pastors in the PCA. That's all. So you're lucky. But... 
They were calling us to, to go there and to plant this church from scratch. So it wasn't as if we were getting a whole bunch of families from one church and saying, here, start this. We started from nothing. And now, three and a half years later, because our church is three and a half years old, God has blessed us to be a congregation that actually looks like our community. We are 55% minority and 45% majority persons. Did I cut out again? It is a blessing to look out from the pulpit Sunday after Sunday and see that not only are we multicolored, but we are multicultural. We have people who vote liberal and conservative. We have people who are wealthy and people who are on welfare. We have people who are homeschool, private school, public school. We have people who are college educated and those who are not. And I say that to you because it is true that, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And there is no earthly reality that should separate us. And so as I was telling John and his wife last night, after uh, Donald Trump, who is now our, uh, the president, was elected, I walked into our Wednesday night Bible study and I said, if you wanted to know who to vote for, you should have talked to me. I said that not because I was trying to give away the person for whom I voted, but it was to facilitate conversation in our church because even the political differences should not separate us. I bring that up for this reason. Did you notice the language that was here in verse 9? When Peter wrote that you are a chosen, you plural are a chosen race, when he wrote that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, this is similar language that is found in Exodus chapter 19. When God delivered his people from enslavement in Egypt, his people, the Hebrews, and he brought them to himself at Mount Sinai. And God says to Moses, thus you will say to the house of Jacob and to the people of Israel, the language that is used here. So he spoke those words predominantly to Hebrews. And now Peter writes this epistle to people who are not only Jewish, but are also Gentiles, non-Jews. Which means that God has purpose since before the foundation of the world to save all kinds of people. Isn't that the very vision that we see in heaven? that a people from every tribe and nation and tongue are surrounding the throne and falling on their faces and praising God with loud shouts. This is not a Presbyterian worship service in heaven, beloved. They're praising God with their entire beings. I get to see that every Sunday. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God has claimed you for his own. And he says you are a holy nation. What does it mean to be holy? It just doesn't mean to be other. You hear that sometimes. It also means to be set apart and committed to the purposes of God. So now we come back to that question again. What is your purpose in life? Notice there, it says, so that. If we were in my church, we'd be ramping up right now in the sermon and I'd have everybody say, so that. So church, say, so that. So that, listen, you may 
proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A part of your purpose is to share, is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not just for missions week. It's every day. And that can be a bit terrifying. Because not all of us has the gift of gab. I get it. Uh, not all of us are going to sit in an airplane 30,000 feet up in the air and start talking to people about religion. I get that. And yet it's undeniable here that a part of your purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So many people are walking around in a room that has no lights, has no windows, and only one door. And they think they see, when in fact they're walking around in darkness. And the only way to get out of that room is for someone on the outside to let that person out. That's Jesus. He is willing to let you out of that room if you submit your life to him. Change course. Stop living as if you're independent. Aren't you tired of that? Surely you're old enough by now to realize that as much as you want to be independent, as much as you want to be a self-made person, you're still always dependent upon someone else who's going to continue to let you down. And so there's only one who has fulfilled his promises. There's only one in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen. It's in the Son. So will you give your life to him? Bow the knee before King Jesus. He's the only thing that from eternity past will continue to last. I know that's a lot of talk. It doesn't make your purpose any easier, does it? So we get the jitters and we start thinking about how am I going to say this? How am I going to answer this question? What am I going to say if someone says this to me? Do people really care? What I've discovered is that more people are willing to talk about Jesus than we realize. We're the ones who are unwilling. You see, God says speak. The devil says shut up. Who will you listen to? At one point earlier in our church's ministry in Richmond, I had 100% of households going door to door. It's knock, knock, knock. We want to invite you to church. We want to talk to you about Jesus if we are able. I know that was terrifying for many people, so what I did was I took someone who was a bit nervous and I partnered that person with someone who had the gift of gab. So that even if that person wasn't saying anything, the other one was talking and would stand back and just pray. That person is still participating in the witnessing experience. He or she just may not be saying anything at the moment. Beloved, a part of your purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of him. I don't have three points for you this morning. I haven't assimilated to Presbyterianism that much. I just have this one. This is your purpose, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the reasons we're so excited to go back to Los Angeles. I left a pagan, I'm returning a pastor. Uh, I left a high school dropout. Yes, I dropped out of high school. Children, don't be like me in this instance. I had to, uh, because my mother left me when I was 15. And it was either survive or do something else. Uh, well, four degrees later, by the way, two graduate degrees, two bachelor's degrees, and I'm getting my PhD in Hebrew. God is good. But I want to go back 
to be able to talk to the people that I left about Jesus, to be able to interact with my half-brother about Jesus because it matters. Someone took it upon himself to invite me to church in England and to see my life transformed. Surely I can go back to my hometown and do the same thing. For those of you who are familiar with L.A., there's a strip, and I'm going to bring this to a close here. I haven't seen any hands raised, but I don't see a clock either. Uh, there's a strip called Hollywood Boulevard, right? That's what L.A. is predominantly known for. If it's not the Lakers or the Clippers, it's Hollywood Boulevard. And uh, it's heavily populated. And so that's a good place, in my estimation, to talk to people about Jesus. Uh, you go to the place where the people are. But on Hollywood Boulevard, there are a lot of things going on. You have the Chinese theater. You have the stars in the ground, right, where people take their selfies with the stars. Uh, you have street performers who are playing various instruments. And so... It's kind of hard to compete with folks who are banging drums and people who are singing and the folks who are walking up and down Hollywood Boulevard dressed like Marvel comic book characters or Hollywood celebrities. So what I decided to do to get people's attention and to share the gospel with them, not in a one-on-one -on -one fashion, but in a mass setting like this, was I got a soapbox. And I stood on my soapbox. And I started street preaching. Yeah, yep, I'm one of those people. But I knew that wasn't going to get their attention either, because if I hold up this Bible, folks in the, in the L.A. area, folks in the U.S. as a whole, don't care about this. It's not just in Japan. It's here in this nation, too. And so I would take this Bible, and I would begin reading this Bible. But again, knowing that that wasn't going to garner too much attention, what I did was I bought a six-foot coffin, and I put it up on this stand next to me. And I opened up one side, and on one side of the coffin, I put this big sign that said, Are you ready? That got a lot of people's attention. So that hundreds and hundreds of people would hear the good news of Jesus Christ from a kid who came out of the projects now proclaiming the message of everlasting life. I don't suspect that you will do that. But I do think there are easy ways to begin initiating conversations with others about Jesus. So let me just give you one in closing. Typically what happens as we go about our daily lives, especially when we leave our homes, is we're trying to get from point A to point B and back. We're, we're just going from, you know, from our house to the post office, from the post office to the grocery store, from the grocery store back to our home, and we typically don't say much to anybody. Especially if we have younger children, we're like, I gotta get the kids home, I gotta feed the kids, I gotta do all of these things. And what I noticed in, especially in the South, even with Southern culture and Southern hospitality, people still aren't very friendly. They might wave to you as you're walking your dog in the neighborhood, but they don't speak to you. So there's a grocery store right outside of my housing complex, and as I was getting some groceries, I most often purposefully go to the tellers, those who are checking out the groceries, not the automated machine so that I can talk to people. And so as I'm going through the uh, line, I say to the woman, or I ask her the question, how are you doing? She just broke down crying. I thought, oh, I blew it. What did I say? I just asked her how she was doing. And so when she uh, stopped crying, I said, did I say something wrong? And she said, no. No one's asked me how I was doing for the last eight weeks. And I thought, how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people has this woman served, and yet no one's asked her how she was doing? 
And so after she told me that story, I said, well, okay, well, then how are you doing? I mean, now that you tell me that, she said, oh, I'm, I'm doing well. And typically, when you ask someone how he or she is doing, they respond, right? Well, sir, how are you doing? Well, in my church, the foundation that I laid is we live from Sunday to Sunday. We don't live for the weekend. We live for Sunday. Because this is what we're going to be doing for all eternity. And so it's extremely important to us as a church to want to get there. That's what's on my mind. So this, I think, was a Friday. And when she asked me how I was doing, I said, you know, I, I, I'm doing well. I'm really excited for the weekend, which made her say, well, what's happening on the weekend? And I said, I'm going to church. She said, oh, how do you think I responded in that situation? Do you go to church? It's very, very simple. And she said, oh, no, I don't go to church. And because I'm praying that God would give me witnessing encounters, I pull out of my pocket this Join Us card. On the front, it says, Exalt Christ, Love His Church, Serve Our Community. On the back, it says, Crown and Joy Presbyterian Church, Church Time, Fellowship Mail, Address, Phone Number, Website. And I said, I would love for you to join us. Because our church is largely a parish model, they live around the church building, the same people go to the same areas so that other people from our church talk to that same woman. Many of the young mothers go to the same pediatricians. Why? Because we want to target the same people to invite them to church and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you ask someone where you're going, wherever it may be, that destination, can you ask someone how they're doing? And then hopefully they respond and ask you how you're doing. And because you're excited about faith, PCA, because you're excited about this place, you're going to tell that person, it could be Monday, it still doesn't matter. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I just came from church last Sunday. I mean, no matter where you are in the week, you can be thinking towards Sunday to be able to invite that person or those people not only into your home, extending hospitality, but also to this church. Can you do that? That's not difficult, is it? And if the person, uh, especially being in the South right now, says, oh, yeah, I, I go to church, I used to just say, oh, which church do you go to? And the person would give me the name. And I thought, oh, well, praise God, I'm, I'm glad you're a brother or sister in the Lord, and then I leave. And then I realized, oh, this is the South. Everybody says they go to church. Man, I'm in a church for 15 years. So then I started asking the question, after they tell me the name of the church, I say, when was the last time you went? And that's when the truth came out. Well, you know, oh, no, no, there is no well, you know. And then we get back into the same part of the conversation, just, okay, will you come to church with me? You see, when you realize that you are a chosen race, when you realize that you are royalty, when you realize that God has claimed you for his own, when you realize that you are a holy nation, you will begin to act out of that place. And sharing the gospel while it is a part of your purpose and while you will still be fearful at times, you will still stand firm on the Word of God because in that, you are fulfilling your purpose. What is your purpose in life? One point for you, for you note-takers, is to proclaim the excellencies of the Christ. Amen, people of God? Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to your people. We thank you, O Lord, that you are a God who cares for us, a God who has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And so we pray, Lord, that you would enable all of us this day to bow the knee once again 
to King Jesus, who is seated at your right hand, that we might be a people who proclaim your goodness to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. Father, we ask that you would not only hear our prayers, but by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, you would enable us to talk to others about King Jesus. We pray all of these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, and amen.